After 99 incredible episodes talking to actors, directors, producers, stage managers, video designers, lighting designers, sound designers, celebrating the festivals, the Vault Festival, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, plus not forgetting our Christmas and New Year editions, The Stagey Place today celebrates episode 100 and I'm so excited to finally be at this incredible milestone. So hello and welcome to The Stagey Place, the podcast where we here chat to all of those people just spoken about who create the magic of theatre that you see on stage. Now, when I was thinking about who I wanted to get on as my episode 100 guest, I was thinking about all these shows that I'd seen over the past couple of years since I started this podcast and told you about my story and everything that I'd gone to see over on social media. There were really two shows that I'd seen over the past couple of years that connected a guest and that is the incredible Darren Clark, the lyricist and composer of so many incredible musicals but for the ones that I had seen, The Wicker Husband at the Watermill Theatre and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which, even though I did see before I started this podcast in May 2019, is now returning to the Southwark Playhouse in their brand new structure at The Elephant this summer to delight audiences once again with this incredible folk story set in Cornwall, a place that I've been to many, many times in my lifetime and really felt like when I went to go and see this production that I was whisked away to the coastal shores and I'm so excited that it's now coming back for brand new audiences and returnees to witness this musical and the joy and heart that is embedded with inside it all over again. So without any further ado, for the 100th time in this introduction, whether you're listening at home, on a bike, on a walk, in your car, or just making a cup of tea and delving into your favourite stagey podcast, I hope you enjoy this interview with lyricist and composer Darren Clark. Hello, Darren, and welcome to The Stagey Place. How are you doing this evening? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Something that you won't know is that today, this episode is celebrating episode 100 of the podcast. And when I started this podcast, I wanted to talk to people who inspired me and people that can inspire future generations. And me and my friend, Spike, came to see Benjamin Button, which we'll be talking a lot about today. But we first came to see it in 2019 at the Southern Playhouse. And I was just enraptured by the music and the lyrics. And I know that you wrote the music and lyrics along with Jeffro, who also wrote the book for Southern Playhouse and is back for this run at the Southern Playhouse. I'm so grateful for you to be on today for episode 100 to talk about the show and to also talk about numerous other projects that you've been involved with in the past. But yeah, thank you so much, Darren, for coming on. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Darren, I don't usually do evening interviews here for the stage place, but today (laughs) we are having to do one because you are right now in the midst of rehearsals for Benjamin Button, which is coming back to the Southwark Playhouse for a month run. Talk to me a little bit about where you are at the moment with rehearsals. Yeah, we're, we're deep in the heart of the beast at the moment. Yeah. So we started, it was about two and a half weeks ago, we started just going through the music and everything. And, and now we've had some working on the staging for about three days. And it's, yes, yeah, full on. 
it's like you will have known for there were five people in the original cast and that is now 12 people 12 people will all of their instruments as well so um half of the rehearsal room is taken up by by instruments and the other half is taken up by people so there's a lot of incredibly talented people making an incredible sound and doing wonderful things including dancing along to Dolly Parton at 9.30 in the morning. It's a really wonderful room to be a part of. Really look forward to going in every day because it's just an absolute joy to be there. The energy in the room is so positive and driving and it's just a joy. I couldn't, couldn't ask for it to be going better, to be honest. Yeah, and obviously you're back now after one, two, three, maybe three and a half, is it nearly four years of being at The Little in the Southwark Playhouse. What does it feel like to actually have this show back and people are going to be able to get the chance to see the show in its new iteration? Yeah, we worked out that it was actually four years to the day that we started rehearsals. We started rehearsal on the same day four years ago for that show. It feels because, you know, obviously it's been a long time. There's been a pandemic. There's been all sorts of things that have happened over since that time. You know, and a lot of discussion about where it should go and where we should do it and, and how we should do it as well. So many conversations about all of that. But I am absolutely over the moon and delighted that we're coming back to Southwark and doing the, their new space at the Elephant, which is a bit bigger. It's the same capacity, I think, as the large. And it's, for me, Southwark Playhouse is a really special place because it is the place where I got my first big show on, and that was in 2014-15. And Chris Monios runs an incredibly supportive building. And when I go there, I, I know the people because, like, again, a lot of my colleagues get their shows on at Southwark Playhouse because it's become known as a place for new musicals and where buzzy things happen. And so I'm constantly going there to see their work. Then when I'm lucky enough to get my own work on there, it just becomes like a second home. So we're not rehearsing there this time. We'll be spending a, a considerable amount of time when we to get there. And they give you 20% off at the bar. Great. They still do. It feels like a bit of a homecoming. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And like you say, it's great to be in a bigger space because you've got an, an additional seven people in the cast. Like you say, you had five before, 12 now. So it must be it must be big. Darren, we're going to talk a lot about Benjamin Button throughout this episode, but I'm going to pause at the moment and talk to you as a lyricist and composer and talk to me a little bit about the start of your journey as a lyricist and composer. So where was it that theatre was introduced into your life and you decided that this was the route that you wanted to take within the industry? I think those those two events, the introduction of theatre and the decision to take it as, as a sort of a career, many, many moons apart. I grew up sort of New Zealand listening in the car. We had three three tapes. There was one was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. The other one was Les Mis. And then I think there was rock and roll love songs of the 60s. But basically, we played those tapes on repeat. And I knew every word to Les Mis and every word to Joseph by the time I was sort of eight. But I hadn't really seen any theatre. And it wasn't until I went to see my brother performing this, his school production of West Side Story mm. that I thought, whoa, what is this thing? This is really cool. And I sort of auditioned for the school musical Guys and Dolls when I was old enough to do it. I was 16, I think. And I just absolutely loved it. And that was not the bug really the theatre bug and the, I guess the musical theatre bug I was really scared of singing yeah. I was really terrified of it. I, 
didn't like I wasn't a singer by any means of no training I started playing the guitar when I was about 13 so I knew a little bit about music I would never write a song I would never sing in front of anyone because I was just so embarrassed by it and then after that when I went to university I was playing these uh, little ditties on my guitar and because it's easy then I didn't have to audition to study music at university they just sort of let you do it so i went along to the, the the first class and i listened to the lecture and i didn't understand a single word that anyone said because they were talking about vocabulary that i didn't know yeah and after about three weeks and in particular there was a an assignment set to us that we had to write a piece for a trombone like just a short short piece for trombone and i wrote it in the treble clef which is uh, like completely wrong it should have been written in the bass clef but i had no I'd, i had no idea that there even was a bass clef so i got zero marks for that and i sort of so with that i suddenly realized like right darren you're out of your depth you need to like just you're gonna sack off and go and do something else because this is not working for you so i went to went away to a different university and i studied classical studies ancient greece and rome stories and things like that but of course like i immediately joined the local amateur dramatic society and spent most of my three or four years there performing in shows and performing yeah. in musicals absolutely loving it and also at the same time getting more confident with my voice and getting more confident playing the guitar too i still really wasn't writing songs it wasn't until university finished and i was doing a shakespeare show in wellington that I started to write songs sort of yeah. earnestly and i thought oh this is fun I, I enjoyed doing this. I wasn't thinking about it as a career at all, but I was thinking this is this is something that I'm enjoying and people seem to be enjoying them, like my friends who I would play them for and my mum, obviously. And then my partner at the time was due to come to England prior to when we met and we were breaking up and we so because she wanted to go to England, it was all very amicable and she went off to England. And then I was like, well, I'm not doing anything in New Zealand, so why don't I just come to England as well? So I sort of saved up six months working a few jobs and came yeah. over to England. And as soon as I arrived in England, I was like, shit, people are playing music. Like people do theatre for a living. <laughs> like that's something that had even crossed my mind that, you, that it could be possible to do something like that. And suddenly I was surrounded by people who were interested in doing that. Like, you know, the local amateur dramatic society in Putney, which I was a huge part of, for a yeah. number of years, the, our little crowd, the people there were like, we want to start our own theatre company. Do you want to come and like write music for it? And I was like, what? Is that a thing like that you can do? And they're like, yeah, that's what, that's what, that's what people do here. So, um, so I was introduced to that sort of like the concept of it being a possible professional career yeah. at that point. And I was about 28 at that point. So I was like very late starter really. But after that first time that someone gave me the opportunity to write a song for a theater show where an audience was sat down and listening to what was being performed and were laughing, I was just like, this is, this is what I want. And I think I'm okay at it. I think I've got a lot to, to learn, but I think I'm okay at it. That was when I was like, started to take it sort of more seriously and I started looking for training. So yeah, it's been a long and interesting and strange journey, but I um, wouldn't change it for the world. It sounds like a wonderful journey. And actually, it's going to lead me on to a question that I wanted to ask later in the episode. But I'm going to ask it now because you spoke a little bit about like the joys of being able to write music for people and being able to listen to it. For you, 
what is the most rewarding part of being a music and lyricist and composer? Because obviously, you know, it may be, you know, you having tracks that are recorded for a cast album. It could be listening to music for the first time in an audience, especially because I know that you've probably workshopped a lot more with Benjamin Button, obviously, that we're talking about today for a new audience. Or is it actually being able to collaborate and sit down with people and write music? Like for you, Darren, what is the most rewarding part of the job for you? Yeah, really interesting question. I think there are so many parts that are rewarding, so I'll list them all. Yeah. Um, the pure joy, the sense of there's something called flow. It's a sense of being completely in the moment and that's present and focused on what you're doing where the time just disappears and slips away and, you know, eight hours pass and suddenly you realise you haven't eaten. That's one of my favourite parts of writing songs is when I get into that sort of a state because it just, it's like the world goes away and you have one problem to solve. It's the solving of the problem that I love. Like, I love, like, not so much the actual solution when I get there, but it's the journey of the solving of the problem. That's one thing that I find incredibly rewarding as part of the craft. In particular as well, the way, you know, that moment when you just eventually after like weeks or months struggling with a, a lyric and a melody like and story moment and that moment where they finally all click into place and it yeah. just is like, that's it, that's it. <laughs> that as well, like, you know, when you finally get those elements that sort of come together. And then like once, you know, a song is sort of written, there is so much joy to be had the first time you hear it sung back to you by an incredible performer, like, you know, with these incredible musicians who are taking your work and making it live in their instruments. And when you hear the, those arrangements for the first time and you know, the way they sort of like shimmer out at you and it's, it's it's an absolute privilege and a joy hearing that and then like beyond that it's the first time you're sat in an audience and you are watching the audience watch and listen to the work and you can feel their reactions to things obviously it's not so great when they, they, they don't get a certain moment in the way that you hope they do but when they do when yeah. they go like that's exactly how i wanted you to feel and that's how you feel and that's just a wonderful again a wonderful feeling and then on top of that there's you know it actually like you said the process of collaboration whilst also being one of the most challenging parts of mm. the whole business is also it's like you know you you can't do it without them when i see like one of my songs being staged for the first time by a director or by a choreographer who's who's like gone away and come up with this dance to go to this music that you've written and then you see these people doing this dance and just the extra like life that it all brings like everyone adds an extra little part of life to the the bones it's like adding the skin it's adding the eyes and the hair and things to a body so the music provides the bones but everything else the performers the other collaborators everything else that gives it life and real shape i can't i can't tell you how many different things about this job give me a sense of utter utter joy good that's when you know you're in the right profession in the right part of the industry when you've constantly got these rewards or these you, you know these positives and this and that's probably in every single production that you do as well that you're always going to have that first time where an audience listens to your songs for the first time and then you know can rave about it on on social media and whatever and go how beautifully written that song is and stuff like that you say when you listen to songs with an audience for the first time it's really rewarding 
when you're sitting there in previews, in those early previews, are you able to relax or are you still, you know, trying to make changes to lyrics and songs? Like what's the what's the possibility of people coming to watch a show as we talked today about Benjamin Button in the early previews to it then obviously having its press night and having its run. Do the songs change much during that process for you? It, it depends on the show and what sort of state it's in. Yeah. Sometimes they can change dramatically, like our songs can be completely cut and yeah. completely rewritten and other structural things, you know, scenes can be entirely removed. So there's a lot that can be done because you learn so much that first time you see an audience because you've been living with the story in your head you read so much more into everything than an audience coming in for the first time would so you become almost like almost useless as a, a judge of what yeah. is working and what is not you become like in fact worse than useless you become a liability <laughs> uh, because you've been with it so long and so that first time the audience comes in and you know you go oh that doesn't work at all that's completely wrong it's frustrating yeah. it's really frustrating because of course when you're writing it you think it's great <laughs> yeah that's perfect that's gonna really really do the job and then when you're in the room and no one's getting it and you're like oh no i've got more work to do yeah <laughs> <laughs> So there is there is always the possibility of more more work, and yeah. again, depending on the show, Benjamin Button. You know, we've done the show before, yeah, and we've changed, we've changed a huge amount about it, and so we don't know that this version of it works in the way that we want to. Yes, we think it does, but you know, we won't really know until until the audience comes in, and then we'll be able to go like either either yeah or oh dear. Let's keep on with it. Yeah, and obviously we talk a lot about collaboration. We must talk about Jethro is the book and lyrics for Benjamin Button. Talk to me about your working relationship, where you both met, and actually let's talk about the start of Benjamin Button. How did it all come about? How did it come about? Well, okay, so long time ago now. So the, I did a show called The Wicker Husband with yes. uh, my collaborator, Reese Jennings, uh, which we are still rewriting and, and getting right for its next iteration. But we won something called the Stars and Drew Mentorship Award in 2016 for The Wicker Husband. And as part of that, we got this concept at the other palace in the main house to do the show. And, and George encouraged us to present the entire show, even though we only had three days of rehearsal. And it was so it was a concert version, but the entire show was presented. And at that presentation was a producer called Danielle Torrento. Danielle knew Jethro from years before when they were both um, stage one producers. So there was a little group of producers who were all sort of friends. Jethro was a producer back then, and so was Danielle. And so they'd kept in touch. So what had happened was Jethro had had this idea. He'd always wanted to do a musical set in Cornwall which is where yeah. he's from. And um, he was going through, because he's a very canny producer, he's a businessman as well as a great talent, and he was going through out-of-copyright titles, things that are famous that would potentially draw a crowd, yeah. but that he wouldn't have to pay for rights for. And he discovered that Benjamin Button had recently come out of copyright. And so that meant that the people who made the film had the same idea, probably. And it also means that you can do what you want with the story, you don't have to have approval from anyone. So Jethro thought, well, what if I take that story, that idea, that concept, and put it in Cornwall, in my fishing village? So that's where he started. He did an R&D in 2017 or 18 with another composer. Mm. And for various reasons, that composer didn't really turn up to the R&D and 
things. And so booked, because this is the kind of man he is, yeah. he had booked a production subject, like sort of the advance, like thinking, I'll write this musical in a year and we'll put it on in Southwark. And then with about seven months to go, he lost his composer. Right. So he had no, <laughs> no songs. So he sent a message to his producer friends, one of whom was Dale, and said, do any of you know any musical theatre composers who are kind of folk composer guys who know how to do that? And Danielle was like, this is your guy. And she put me in touch with Jethro. And we met up in Cafe Koha in central London. And I wanted to suss Jethro out. And he wanted to suss me out because I had, I had recently come off an incredibly bad experience in theatrical where I was fired for, for a production due to various sort of miscommunications and like badly managed expectations and things like that. I was very cautious at the point and there were certain things that I'd learned from that experience that I wanted to make sure people I worked with in the future were going to be okay with the way that, that I work best. And so basically Jethro gave me a lyric for, from Benjamin Button. He said like, take this lyric. I, I suggested actually like, why don't I take one of your lyrics and I'll go and like, I'll send it to some music and you can see what you think. And so I took, took his lyric and I changed it. And I added all sorts of things like, you know, I added a different chorus. I swept the, the structure around. I changed bits and pieces of it. And I, so I said, if, if this guy can handle the sort of structural changes that are inevitably necessary in the creation of a musical, like that mm -hmm. sort of collaboration quality, then I can work with him. If he can't handle it, then I won't take the job. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I sent the thing I sent back. And he, he absolutely loved it. He was right. like, this is great. And I knew from that that this was a guy that I'd be able to work with. He had no, no ego about, you know, where he just wanted the best for the story. And that remains true now. He has no ego. It's an extraordinary guy. He just wants the best for the story. And he will fight tooth and nail for what is best for the story. Yeah. But it's never about him. It's about the story, which makes him a great collaborator. And also an incredibly frustrating one, just as much as I, I am also an incredibly frustrating collaborator, as I know from the, like chatting with my collaborators about how frustrating they find me. Sure. Because I demand, you know, everything must be questioned and everything must be right. Yeah. It's frustrating when you come across people like that because they won't yeah. settle for what's not good enough because we want the show to be great because we really care about the story and think that it can be better. You know, if you just spend another, just another hour working on that lyric, you just spend another day working on that that scene, that melody, like surely it'll be better. Yeah. So it's frustrating, but also ultimately I think it's great. And to be honest, all my all my collaborators like care equally about the story. They're yeah. all wonderful. Like you know, my main collaborators, Reese Jennings and my director collaborator Amy Draper, Charlie Weston Ra, Jethro Compton, they're all perfectionists. We all demand that of each other as well as of, of ourselves, which means that we all get equally frustrated with each other, ultimately that we end up creating something pretty cool. Yeah, and obviously, like you say, like Jethro wants the best for the story. He wanted to show a Cornish musical because he came from Cornwall. So he wants the best for that because he wants to showcase the very best of Cornwall. Between the end of the run that you had in 2019 and now in 2023, if people have seen that first production and want to come back, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who do because 
when this got announced that it was coming back, like the way Twitter reacted to it was incredible. And it must have been incredible for you if you saw any of the reactions. What can people look forward to this time round in the 2023 version? Obviously, you've got seven more people on stage. What else can people expect? You say it's a little bit different from the last time. Yeah, I think people coming back will recognise that the beating heart of the show is the same. There is you know, that emotional feeling, the style and the way in which we tell the story remains remains what it was in 2019 what people can expect is a like a real thunder in the sound when we go big we go big 12 beautiful voices all singing in harmony and playing those instruments so brilliantly like the sound of it is really will fill that entire room and you'll feel it in your bones yeah in terms of We've done a huge amount of work on the story structure, fixing the things that we got wrong, the details, the, because it's such a detail-oriented show anyway. You know, it's a simple story, but the way in which it's told is very, very precise. And I think people will be really excited about seeing that. And these performers, you know, we had five incredible performers in 2019. Two of those are back with us again. So there'll be some familiar faces there on the stage, which is lovely. And then the way this cast of 12, even in the short time we've been rehearsing, have sort of bonded together to tell the story has been a wonderful thing to watch. So again, I think one of the things that was great about the 2019 production was watching that small group of people just tell you the story um, yeah. so beautifully you'll get that again but you'll get everything that you had but on a bigger scale the small moments will still be beautiful and small and the big moments will blow your mind well that sounds incredibly exciting like i say i saw the show in 2019 so i hope if listeners are tuning into this episode and wondering whether or not to come and see it again look at the reaction that it had on twitter when this got announced it was coming back it's an extraordinary musical and maybe even look at the reviews obviously this is a, a new version of the show but look at the reviews from 2019 because that was what drew me to the show actually there was one review that just said if you have to see one show this year one musical it's this is benjamin button and that's what drew me to the show and i can completely agree with that review and that tagline it just grabbed me and i was like you hear it so much but i was like this feels right. Like, I love folk music. I, I love Cornwall. I go, I go so many times. So I really felt like I wasn't in London. I wasn't at Elephant and Castle. I was. I felt transported. And that's the beauty of this show. It just transports you. So, Darren, thank you so much for coming on today to talk about Benjamin Button. It's back at the Southwark Playhouse in its new space at the Elephant new structure. It sounds wonderful and amazing. But, Darren, I've got one final question to round off this episode. And it's the title of this podcast, and that is The Stagey Place. Now, obviously, we talked at the beginning of this episode. This is episode 100. So I've heard yeah. 99 other stagey places, maybe even more, because sometimes we've had like two or three guests on an episode. And The Stagey Place yeah. is somewhere that you feel the most stagey, the most creative, the most passionate about this industry. Maybe it's the car that you were in when you were younger and you were listening to those tapes, Les Mis and Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Or maybe it's that school production of West Side Story that you saw your brother in. <laughs> or maybe it's somewhere here in England that you first came to and you were like, oh, this is, this is a career. This is what I can do. Or like you say, it yeah. could be the Southwark Playhouse that you've gone to see many productions. You've had lots of your peers do productions there. And it's just a heart and a home for UK musicals. Yeah. Darren Clark, for episode 100 of The Stagey Place, whereabouts is your stagey place? My stagey place is in the stalls during tech, in the dark, 
with my laptop watching lights and sound and people sort of director shouting things or on the cans and and you're just sort of there in the, this little magical bubble all on your own in the dark and no one can see you there apart from the light that's reflecting from your laptop that's the place where i feel the most stagey just before the wave crashes just before the audience comes in it's that moment the the calm before the storm and the dark in those stalls that's my place amazing and do you know what i love the way that you were just talking about the wave crashing there and i was like that seems to fit quite nicely with the musical with it being quite cornish it's on brand, <laughs> it's on brand yeah it's very apt for the show that we are talking about <laughs> darren thank you so much for coming on to this podcast for celebrating benjamin button i wish i had more time to talk about your other projects because i came to see wicker husband at the watermill absolutely love that piece as well it's another one that just like transports and takes me away yeah i could talk so much about some of the projects that you've been working on but we have run out of time for this episode i'm sure you may be able to come back if you're doing anything else in the future i know you've got some really exciting projects but it's been a genuine pleasure to have you on today so thank you so much for joining me this evening and taking time out to chat with me it's a pleasure thank you very much for having me and so there we go that was my interview with darren clark lyricist and composer he was currently working on The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which runs at the Southwark Playhouse Elephant from the 22nd of May until the 1st of July. I'd love to thank Darren so much for coming onto this podcast and being our guest for episode 100. It's been a real great milestone to reach here on the podcast. I never thought that we'd ever get to this point sharing all of these wonderful, amazing interviews, advice and inspiration that every single episode has brought with The Staging Place, has brought with the incredible guests that we've been able to get on over the past couple of years on this podcast. So if you are one of those who have been listening to multiple episodes throughout this run, I just want to say thank you so much for staying with The Staging Place. This podcast we would definitely not continue if it wasn't for the support that we get on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, plus just everyone who manages to listen to any of the episodes that we've ever released here on The Stagey Place. So thank you, the listener, for being here. It really means the world to myself, Joseph, Emmy and Sam who are all a part of the stage place and bring you as much content as we can every single week that we post an episode or talk about the stuff that we go and see on social media. And so all that's left for me to do here is sign off. So thank you for listening to episode 100 of The Stagey Place. And until next time, I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye. <laughs>